Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for those that are here and ask you to bless and anoint this time, lead and guide us as we look at these Proverbs. And if anybody's on their way, you ask that you bring them quickly. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Proverbs 26, verse 1. As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. As the bird by wandering, as a swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and the rod for the fool's back. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he lest you also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And we're going to stop at those five verses and look at them. Uh, the first one, as snow in the summer or rain in the harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. And this is, we all know that snow in summer would be <laughs> something that would be really bizarre and abnormal. And and in Israel, rain and harvest time ruin, ruins the crop, crops, as it does in any place, because once it rains on your, you eat, you have to stop for a period of time to, before you harvest it, otherwise you're going to ruin it with mold and mildews. And so they're saying, you know, and in, in Israel, it very, very rarely rains during the harvest time. As pretty much any place that is a farm, proper farm country, the autumn does not usually see a lot of rain. Uh, and it says, as unusual as those two are, so is honor to a fool. And we've talked about a fool as one who denies God, does not apply knowledge. And uh, honoring a fool would be a very, un, is unwise. And if you've ever seen a fool that's been honored, you see how unwise it is. Because they think they're all something and they don't have any knowledge, no understanding, and they will, it goes to their heads. Uh, as a bird by wandering and a swallow by flying, so a curse causeless shall not come. And God, then basically God, he's telling us that, you know, if somebody curses you and you don't deserve it, God is not going to let that curse be applied. And, and it says just like a bird that, you know, or a swallow, you know, they get away from most traps. And you see that, you know, the biggest way they catch a lot of birds is to send a big, big net. And even that doesn't get all the birds that it aims after. And so... But God is saying, you know, if you don't have to worry about curses. And, and I've never worried about curses because I've got God in my heart and I know that, I, that he's going to protect me. But I do know, I've met people who are totally paranoid about being cursed. Especially in the deep south, I saw a lot of that. Uh, people were just terribly, terribly, you know, and even around here to a degree with as much witchcraft and wicked as around here, there are people that are terrified of the possibility of being cursed. And God says, no, it's not going to happen. If you don't deserve a curse, it's not going to happen. And so we want to look at this. You know, uh, the whip for a horse, a bridle for the, for the ass, and a, and a rod for the back of the fools. And this is basically just talking about control. You know, there has to be control. The, the horse has the, the, the crop to get it to move, or you know, the, the donkeys and the horses as well, both have bridles to direct them. And God is very much on the idea that a fool basically needs it beat out of them. And that's, uh, you know, we're seeing it. God says the children are to be reared and the rod of discipline is to be used on the kids. And we're seeing the generation raised with no discipline. And it's a sad thing when you look at teenagers and, and what everybody out there who have had no discipline. When I first moved out to Kingman 11 years ago, I worked with some of these high school students who thought they ran the business. And I'm going, uh-uh, I run the business, you're the employee, well, you can't make me do anything. I go, well, I also don't have to pay you if you don't have a job. You know, they're learning discipline in the business world when it's kind of late. You know, they really need to be taught it from their parents, people when they're still young enough to be directed and, and, and bent. And, you know, in our world, we're teaching people, especially kids, you know, everybody's all equal, you all deserve, you all deserve to be rewarded. And then they hit the business world, and the business world's not playing that game. And for the first time they're told they're not just as good as everybody else is when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, when in probably the worst time in their life to be told for the first time ever that you're not as good as everybody else because they're already struggling with it. And they're being put in the, thrown in the workforce or, or the college system, and they're being told you're not as good as everybody. And I think we're hurting our 
our, our kids and everything with that mentality because it's not what God said. You know, God said, train them up, teach them, discipline them. And his discipline was rather sharp. And, and I will agree, when my kids were growing up, they got spankings up to about seven or eight. And after that, they started getting different disciplines because they were starting to get big enough that spankings weren't the best, best discipline necessarily. And so we wanted to be able to say, what is best? You know, what is best? You know, for a kid who's concrete, you smack their hand or their bottom and they're going, okay, that, that hurt, I'm not going to do it anymore. And discipline always hurts. Always hurts. Even if it's an employee losing their job, that hurts. And it might hurt a lot. And so we need to teach discipline. All right, verse, okay, verses 4 and 5 are really one that draws, makes people crazy. It says, answer not the fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And then it turns around and says, answer the fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And we're going to look at what that means. The first part of it is we don't want to answer a fool according to their folly because I've done it before. I've bantered with somebody and argued with them back and forth, back and forth. And they just decided, you know, it became obvious real quick that they weren't going to believe a word I said and it wasn't going to change their mind. And you come across somebody like that, you just stop talking to them because it's not worth the effort. Because you can make the best arguments in the world and they're just not listening. I had that happen a couple of years ago. This one kid, he, all he wanted to do was argue philosophy and, and all these things. And, you know, and I'd answer it and then he'd come up with some other thing and I'd answer it. And he'd come back up with the same argument that he'd already given out and I'd answer it. And after, just, you know, after a few times, I'm going, no, I'm not playing this. You know, it's not, I don't have time to play this game. Because it was, you know, he was being a fool. He really was. He'd already had the answer. He knew what I was going to say. And keep throwing the same arguments up, you waste your time. And when I witness to people, it's the same thing. If they're, if they're not listening, it's, there's thousands of other people to go talk to. I don't need to waste time with one individual. But by the same token, it says, answer the fool according, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You know, you do need to give them an answer and, and try to, to give them an answer but if they're, and, and see if they're going to listen. Otherwise, they think they've won the argument. If you don't answer them at all, okay, I won the argument, I'm right. <laughs> and so we want to give them their answer, but we want to determine very quickly, are they really a fool who's not listening or can they be trained? And if they can be trained, then it's worth spending time with them and, and explaining everything. If they can't, then next. <laughs> next, because it's not, not worth it. All right. What are we on now? Proverbs 26. That's Sunday night. It's been a long time since you've been here. Yes. During the daytime, anyway. All right. We have an interactive, too. If somebody has a question or as we go along, it's, we can ask questions. So well, that's, that's the definition of crazy. Requiring. Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Expecting a different result. Yeah. And that's basically what it's saying. Don't, you know, he's crazy. Don't be crazy trying to trying to keep answering the same questions and over and over and, and I've seen a lot of Christians do that you know they're so wanting that person to make you know come to the right way of thinking they'll they'll keep repeating the same argument sometimes for months you know and it's like ah stop <laughs> he hasn't they haven't listened after a few few sessions and they're still asking exactly the same question I mean it's one thing to see the question morph a little bit and change and you know but to still be asking exactly the same question then you've got a problem. It's right after Proverbs. Uh, Did you find it? I, I'm in oh, Proverbs. Okay. <laughs> Verse 6. He that sends a word by the hand of a fool cuts off his feet and drinks damage. The legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. As he that binds a stone in a sling, so is he that gives honor to a fool. As a thorn goes into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. The great God that formed all things rewards the fool and rewards transgressors. All right. Uh, this first one, he that sends a word or a message by the hand of a fool cuts his feet off and drinks damage. And basically it's saying, you know, a fool is easily distracted. We've had this, this proverb before. You know, and if anybody's ever sent somebody a message by an unreliable person, then you, you know what that amounts to. Uh, 
I had a guy that I didn't really think of him as a fool, but I told him, you know, he was going to go someplace where my dad was. And I said, hey, when you, when you see my dad, say, you know, tell, tell him I said hi. So the message that he gave the guy was, Ralph said to tell his old man hi. Okay, now I would never use that language referring to my father ever. And my dad looked at him and said, is that the message my son told you to give me? give he goes well yes he goes no there is no way that that is the message you know because he knew me and knew the language that I would use and he had just turned it into something he would he would say uh, but it was an example of I mean it, this wasn't as bad as some could be but you know if you've ever sent messages to people and or tried to give a message to somebody who just didn't give it right a fool who just changed it or totally just went off the you know uh, often did their own thing. Uh, before we talked about don't send a message by a drunkard, he's going to get sidetracked. Uh, he'll find the tavern and get sidetracked. And really, you know, it, it didn't say tavern there, but that was what it was meaning. You know, he's going to go get drunk. And he's going to totally forget your message. Yeah, that's part of a fool. The fool will just get sidetracked and say, well, I didn't, you know, don't know what happened. I just got lost. Uh, or change the words or forget it. The legs of the lame are not equal, and this means that literally it says languish They're, they languish the legs of the lame languish and that is true from lack of use they will you know end up as sticks of just bone with a little bit of flesh around them so is a parable in the mouth of a fool and a parable you know Jesus spoke in parables stories that have a lesson attached to them and it says you know number one a parable probably is too much beyond a fool anyway you know to be able to give a lesson is probably too much for them anyway and he says, you know, just like the legs of the lame language, so is a parable in the mouth of a fool. It's just, it's worthless. You know, they're not even going to understand it in most cases. And that's why Jesus spoke in parables. So the people who, you know, were basically foolish were not going to understand it. And then he explained it to the disciples. And then we get the benefit that the disciples actually wrote the explanation down for us. That was really nice of them when they wrote the, wrote yes. the Gospels that they actually put the... Because we wouldn't have understood most of those parables any better than, than the people did when they heard them. Because it wouldn't have made a lot of sense without the expo explanations behind them. And, you know, and here, the parables in the mouth of a fool, they're just not... There's no reason for it. And he goes on to say, He that binds a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. And if you've ever used a sling, the last thing you would do is bind it in there. You're not going to tie it into the sling and then try to throw it. Nothing would happen. You set it in the pocket and then you, you throw it. You don't, okay, let me tie this thing in. You know, that, that would be the ultimate of the lazy person. You know, it won't stay in, so they tie it in so it stays in. Uh, when you think about it, it's a really crazy thought. Now, I'm going to put it in the sling so I can throw it, but I'm going to tie it in there because it keeps falling out. You know, uh, but that's the same idea of giving honor to the fool. And it's just not something that you should do. The fool should not be honored. And it's not, it's not, a, not a good thing because they don't deserve it. The fool denies God. The fool denies knowledge. And we know from the beginning of the Proverbs, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're, they reject everything. And when I was going to college, I met lots of fools who had honor. Most of them had a little PhD behind their name. And many of them didn't have a clue what they were talking about in most cases. And I was a business major and I went to a lot of business management classes. And having been 15 years in management, I'd get into these management classes and I would listen to what those idiots would say about, about management. And I'd look at how long they'd been teaching, how long they got their degree. And most of them had never been, at least the ones I disagreed with, had never spent a day managing. And they were teaching people how to manage. You know, and it made no sense. And you would read their books, because they always taught from the book they wrote, about how well they could manage if they ever had the opportunity. And you're going, who in their right mind would even try what you've, what you've said? And I had lots of arguments with many of them, you know, and, and, uh, because they were fools. They had never done, and you know, the one thing you never want to try to do is teach somebody something you've never done. You know, it's it's amazing when you meet somebody who's an expert and they've never done it. You know, you get all these people who are expert at parenting until they get kids. They have all the answers on how to raise a kid until they get a kid, 
And then they find out that most of what they've been speaking all their life is worthless. And that's not the only field, but that's the one I can remember the most. You know, you've always got a friend telling you how to raise your kids and they don't have any kids and never had any kids and they're telling you everything you're doing wrong or, or about raising your kids. Fools being elevated and a lot of times they'll get the honor. And that's where that, you know, is bad. It's a bad thing when that happens. Uh, as a thorn goeth up, goes up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of the fools. And that's the idea of a drunkard usually will not feel anything when it happens. And that's the idea. They could, you know, step on things, you know, get themselves cut and not feel it till the next day. And again, that whole idea of, you know, a parable, you know, good teaching in the mouth of a, of a fool. It just doesn't make sense. It's not, a, it's not something that is reality. The great God that formed all things both rewards the fool and rewards transgressors. And this is kind of one of those e funny things because we don't usually think of discipline as a reward, but yet it really is. Discipline is a reward. It, it is the purpose of it is to pay back what you, what you deserve. And in this case, reward literally means wages. You know, in, in the New Testament, we're told the wages of sin is death. Okay, so we earn death, and that is our reward for not turning to Jesus. Well, he says, when you do wrong, you're going to get a reward. It's not really a reward you want, but you're going to get that reward. Uh, and when my kids were growing up, I'm going, you have, a, you, you can, you have a one of two ways. You can either obey and get the, re, get the benefits of obedience, or you disobey and you get the benefits of disobedience. Your choice, I don't care which it is, uh, I would rather do the the rewards for ben uh, for obedience, but uh, if you really want the reward for 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 disobedience, you can have it. I don't like doing it. I don't like you know, I don't like to discipline. I never liked to discipline my kids. I knew they needed it, <laughs> you know. And I can remember when my dad, when I was growing up, and my dad said, "This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, right." Then I got my own kids, and I really understood what he meant that it hurts me more than it hurts them because to cause pain whether it's to take away right, uh, privileges and or, or say you can't do something you wanted to do or literal physical corporal punishment either way was something that I did not enjoy and if I find somebody who enjoys that kind of stuff I have I don't think they deserve to have kids <laughs> I mean if you deserve if you really enjoy hurting your child in discipline you probably shouldn't have the kid because that's not good now I know that they need it and you know and, and would do it because it was needed, but I never enjoyed the idea of taking away something or 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 hurting the kid because I knew it was needed. I knew that they had to go forward. I know that God does it. You know, God tells us that whoever he doesn't discipline is not one of his children. You know, and we need to remember that. God disciplines us because he loves us. And I know as kids, the most kids don't think of that. You know, not, they don't love me. They're, just, they're, they're, they're making life miserable for me. But we, with God, pretty much do the same thing, don't we? When we're getting disciplined, we're going, God, you don't love me, or you would make life so difficult for me. But yet, God is saying, no, it's because I love you. I cannot let you continue down whatever path it is you're going down. And he'll do what it takes to stop us. And sometimes that causes great pain. And... We need it. We don't enjoy it. If anybody enjoys it, then they've got a problem themselves. But, you know, we don't enjoy the discipline, but God knows that we need it. So, all right, verse 11. The Proverbs, this is a hard book to teach, actually. There's no flow and ebb. It's just a whole list of things. So it's a, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. See you a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope for a fool than in him. The slothful man says, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the slothful man on his bed. The slothful hides his hand in his bosom and grieves, and it grieves him to bring it again to his mouth. Okay. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And this literally, these two, even though they use the same word, return and return, they're not the same in Hebrew. The first one is that he, the dog will turn back and return to his, 
to his vomit. And if anybody's had dogs, they know that that's exactly what they do. Sometimes they even eat it, you know, re-eat it again. You know, they threw it up for whatever reason, and then they eat it again. And then the fool says that he keeps repeating his folly. And insanity, whatever you want to call it, it's the same the same thing. The, the fool just keeps doing the same thing because he's saying, well, there's no, there's no higher authority. There's no answers. There's nobody to tell me what to do. And when we take that attitude with God, we're a fool. And the thing about God is he will give us the same test until we pass it. You know, he does not, he's not like our school system and says, okay, well, you flunked the test, but we've got to go forward anyway. He goes, all right, we're, you're stuck on this test until you pass it, and you'll keep seeing the same test over and over and over again. And I've, also, I've shared with everybody, there was a time, you know, about 15, 20 to 15 years ago that I took the same test for six years. It was a terrible time. Terrible time for me, terrible time for my family, because I was too pig-headed to, to give up. I was going to get through it one way or the other, and I was going to do it my way. And being a manager and an organizer and a, an administrator, I was sure that I'd be able to get out of the mess sooner or later. And I can guarantee you, over those six years, I made some good plans. You know, they were good plans. They should have gotten me out of the problem. But God says, no, you're not getting out of the problem until you re quit resisting me. And the day I told God, I said, God, I give up. I, don't, I can't do this anymore. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard him speak into me about time. <laughs> and everything changed overnight because I had just gotten to the point where I was frustrated. And I'm going, God, I just can't do it. You know, I'm giving it to you. And then, then everything changed overnight. Yeah. My family suffered for a long time because I was the head of the family and I wouldn't turn. I was being <laughs> the fool repeating. Yes, it was different, different schemes, different thoughts, but it was still repeating I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of this. And God says, no, <laughs> it's time for you to back off. And now, is it what you do in every situation? No, sometimes you have to go through and do, you know, try things. But if you find God totally saying, no, it's time to change, then you back off and let God be, there, be your wisdom. And it's very important that we look at that. Uh, it says, see you a man wise in his own conceits. There is more hope for him in a, for a fool than in him. And we probably all know somebody who's very conceited who has all the answers. I've known several people in my lifetime that have all the answers. You couldn't tell them anything. You could be an expert in a field, but they still know the answers to everything. And when they're like that, they're not, you know, there's more hope for a fool because they're not going to change unless God knocks their feet out from under them. And I've, I've met several people in that category. My, my grandmother, before she died, she knew, she knew everything about everything, whether she knew anything about it or not. She knew all the answers and all, everything about it because somebody at one time had told her something about it. Now, whether they knew anything about it or not didn't matter to her. She'd been told by, by an expert. <laughs> and she'd argue with people who really knew what was going on. She would argue with my dad on electronics, and she knew nothing about electronics, and he was a trained, trained in electronics. And she'd argue with him. You know, she'd argue with him about the military and the practices of the military, and he had 22 years in the military. You know, and that was just the way she was. You know, so you learned, you learned basically don't argue, with, don't argue with her because she's right, everybody else is wrong. You know, but that takes humbling yourself. It, you know, you, you've got to be able to say, yeah, it's not worth it. And I love the idea that I've heard many times on the radio. Is something important enough to argue about? Will it matter <laughs> 10 years from now? You know, and that's a good, good point a lot of times, because how many times do we argue about things that have no eternal value? You know, there's just really no reason to be fighting over it. It's it, not even going to matter tomorrow in most cases, much less <laughs> while you're arguing about it. And the other thing is, does it matter who's right or wrong? You know, and this is, the more I study the God's word, the more I get into his word, the less I find in there to argue about. Now, I will argue that Jesus is the son of God and the only son of God. I will argue that he was virgin born. I will argue that he died for our sins and that he resurrected. 
and I'll argue that the Word of God is absolutely the true true. Beyond those few things, there's not a whole lot I'm going to argue about. I'll present the case. If somebody really wants to say, well, I don't believe that, well, that's between you and God and the, and the Bible. As long as you can show me why you don't believe it in the Bible, I'll, you, can, you, can, you can believe what you want. You know, when, when people will argue about eternal life, you know, I know that they're wrong, but I'm not going to sit there and argue with them. I'll show them the verses, and if they want to sit there and argue with the, against the verses, that's between them and God. As long as they know that Jesus is the way they get to heaven, and when they think you're going to lose your salvation and they get there anyway, that's, <laughs> they'll find out in the end that, they're right, that, that it was eternal. You know, when it, you know, we talk about the end times or eschatology, and we're going to be starting the book of Revelation here next Tuesday, and there's not a whole lot there I'm going to argue it because I've been studying it long enough and have watched it ebb and flow and go backwards and forwards, and, and we'll teach what it says and let people, and I'll teach the different sides of things and let people make their decisions on that because I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. It's in the future. It's a good way to cause problems. And, but we need to be careful. How right do we have to be? Do we always have to be right? If we do, we're going to have lots of problems. <laughs> People aren't going to want to be around us if we're always right, if we, or at least if we think we're always right. Bad enough if somebody is always right, uh, but if they think they are, it's, it's worse. The slothful man says, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. We talked about this before. You know, how wild are the excuses of a slothful person? <laughs> you know, uh, I live in the city, I live with their streets, but there's a lion in the streets, so I'm not going out of my house. <laughs> Basically what this verse is saying. Uh, you know, if you live down in the middle of the wilderness, you might be able to say there's a lion out there in, the, in my property and, and, and be true. Not too many lions go into the towns and the cities. <laughs> uh, you know, it would be like somebody in, in, here, in, here in Chloride saying, you know, there's lions out there in the streets, so I'm not leaving my front door so I can just stay in bed. <laughs> You know, and everybody look at him like, okay, right, you know. It's, now, is it the possibility of a mountain lion strolling in here? I guess it's a slim possibility. There's more possibility of a lion being out in your yard or your street out there in the middle of the, of the valley, but not here in town. I mean, but this is that whole idea that the slothful will make up some really crazy stories. And believe me, having managed employees, I have heard some really crazy reasons for not getting a job done. You know, not necessarily lions, but I mean, I've heard some, some really whoppers of why a job didn't get done. And you know it wasn't because they were busy or had all these other things. It just, they didn't want to do it. And I had a guy, he used to be able to tell you the greatest stories. Sometimes I gave up just because his stories were so original and, and, uh, and wonderful that it was, <laughs> okay, I'm not going to sit here and argue at this point, you know. Um, now, he knew, if I, he knew not even to tell a story if I had a certain look. If I was angry enough to have a certain look on my face toward him, he didn't even try to give me any story because he knew that if he gave me a story, I would probably suspend him. Uh, but this, the sluggard, the slothful person is, you know, just going to make up reasons. You know, make up reasons. Uh, verse 14, as the door turns on his hinge, so does the slothful person on his bed. Backwards, forwards, side, you know, turning around. It's just, you know, he won't even get out of bed. One side gets a little sore, he goes on to the other side. Um, then it says, the sluggard hides his hand in his bosom and it grieves him to bring it up again to his mouth. So lazy, he won't even feed himself. I haven't seen too many people that are that lazy, but I guess they might be out there, huh? It's a Judy's business, she may have. Well, that's not, no. <laughs> that's no, not that's being not lazy. Good. That's just not able to... Uh, She's in nursing care. Taking care of people who can't yeah. take care of themselves. Yeah. That's not due to the fact of being lazy. Some people can and they, they don't. They, yeah. They, they, uh, play, they play that, I'm too thick. Yep. Yeah. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. He that passes by and meddleth if with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. As a madman who casts firebrands and arrows and death, so is a man that deceiveth his neighbor and says, I am I not am not I in sport? There is no where no wood is, there is, the fire goes out, so where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. 
The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render or restore by reason. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier. If you think you're, if you're always thinking you're right, it doesn't matter how many people give you good counsel, good advice, and good answers. And we, a couple weeks ago, we were studying that in the in the multitude of counselors there is wisdom, and that is something that wise people seek counsel. Good leaders seek counsel. They are ultimately knowing they've got to make the decision, but they seek advice from other people, weigh that advice, and then do whatever they think is right, whether it matches the advice or not, but at least they've listened to what others have said. Uh, the, what, the fool says, I'm not going to care what anybody says. I'm going to do it my way. I've got the answers. Nobody is smarter than I am, so we're going to do it my way. And a lot of people in the business world get that way. You know, I worked hard to get here, I, I know all the answers, and we're going to do it my way. And that usually makes a company stagnate because you're only as good as that one person's ideas. And it's very important that there's multitudes that at least have input. And when I was managing, yes, a lot of decisions were just made because this is the way it's going to be, but I also would talk to assistant managers. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? How can we, you know, what can we do with this employee or what can we do with that? you know, to help sales in this other area, take all the inputs and then <laughs> give back and, you know, make a plan. And this is what he's saying, you know, that foolish person thinks they have all the answers. And they're, they're to the point of they won't even listen. And seven here doesn't necessarily mean literally seven, but seven is a, a complete number, the perfect number of people talking to you. And this is why husbands and wives need to come together and talk about decisions and think about decisions. Ultimately, according to the Bible, the man is the head of the house. He will, he will make the decision, but he needs to take his wife, you know, wife's opinions into, into thought and into consideration. My wife is much better on emotional things than, than I am and, and, and a lot of decision making, and I need to, you know, work with her. She made, we made a great team when we would go visiting people because she would talk to them, she'd get them engaged, and then the problems would come up, and then I could come in with the Word of God and say, this is what, here's your answer. For me to draw that out of them is not my skill set, but she has that skill set, so we made a good team going out and doing things. And we need each other. We always need each other, because nobody has all the answers except for God. And God can give us the answers, but He usually helps give it to us through others. And so this is that, that whole idea. You know, don't be so set in your ways that you're the one that has all the answers. All right. Uh, he that passes by in metals with strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by its ears. Now, anybody who's ever had a dog, if you want to take your dog by the ear, you're going to get bit. You know, you don't pull the dog. And you can pull the dog's tail before you can pull their ears, usually. Uh, and... You know, and in this case, you want to remember that dogs in, their t in this particular time were not the tame, domesticated, indoor animals that we have. Our dogs, you can probably pull by the ears more often because, you know, they're, but they're still going to react with a little snap. You know, they may not take your arm off like, like a wilder dog would, but they're going to snap at you usually unless they're very, very, very passive and, and, and uh, submissive. Uh, but these were more wild dogs. And in this day, your dog was a guard. <laughs> you gave him just enough food to keep him from starving to death, but you kept him basically mean because they were guards. You know, they weren't one that you left your kids alone with because they weren't, that's, they weren't the trusted house pet that we have nowadays. They were not considered pets. They were, they were working animals. They were, you might train them to help you with the sheep or something, but they were, they were animals. And it's, it's funny when you talk to people who still think that way, ranchers and farmers, their animals aren't pets. Their animals are working animals. They get sick and die, okay, goodbye, you've been a good dog, get another dog. Uh, you know, and you teach that one to be a working dog. I've got a friend who keeps about a dozen cats, and, cats, and his cats are not indoor cats. They're right on the edge of being feral. He can act, they can actually touch them and, and play with them a little bit, but they are kept feral because he's using them in his farming area to keep the mice away and the rabbits away and he wants he wants his cats to be not wild not not you know not that they will attack his family and everything but he wants them kept right on that edge of hunger 
so that they will be working animals. And, you know, this is, you know, we want to remember these, these dogs that they're talking about, you wouldn't grab a, a fairly wild dog by its ears. It would, you know, they would turn around and, and say, you're not doing this to me, and it'll take your hand off. And it says the, the person who meddles in stuff that is not their business. There's all kinds of people that do that. You know, now, if, it, you know, if it's your business or you're trying to protect somebody from being, being hurt, it becomes your business. That's a community business to make sure somebody's not getting hurt and make the phone call, whatever it takes. But we, you know, we have so many people that are busybodies. They're in everybody's business. You know, they're calling the police before they even know what's going on. You know, they, they hear a noise and they're on the phone, you know, yeah, yeah, you got to get over here. This person's being beat to death, you know. You know, and it's the person fell down and, and, and screamed in pain because they fell down off the step or something. You know, and they're saying they're being abused, you know, or, or and you've got these people that are always right there. You know, you know, your kids are misbehaving. How do you know my kids are misbehaving? I'm going to send them on an errand. They're by themselves, you know, going, going to the store. They're not misbehaving, you know. In all these things that go on, and people will call and get in people's business, and the Bible says, you know, that's not a wise thing to be doing. You know, be in what you're supposed to do. You know, as a church, we are to love one another, build one another up, and we're not to judge one another in one sense. But if it, you know, just getting in their business all the time. But if there's something that's harming, you know, for me as a father, if anybody did anything that's going to harm my family, I'm going to come after them. As a pastor, if somebody's doing something that harms the church, if they want to harm me, I don't care. If they want to harm the church, then I'm going to protect the church because that becomes my business. But if all they're doing is, and we said this over and over, if they have a sin in their life and they're coming to church and they're not trying to say, accept my sin and say it's okay or include others in their sin, I have no problem with them being in the church because they need to be in the church hearing the word of God. Now, if they're trying to say, you know, you know, I'm into adultery and I'm going to have everybody, you know, sleeping with me, now we got a problem. That person's not going to be in the church trying to drag, drag people into their sin. And that point is like, okay, let's, you know, let's, talk, let's talk first, talk to them, and then get to the point, well, you're not listening to me. Okay, you know, church, we need to set this person out. They're not, they're not in the, they can't come anymore. Very rare does everything, anything ever get to that point. But it can. And... This is what that's saying. Don't meddle. You know, if I see somebody who I know is living in a sinful lifestyle, I'm not going to get involved in their life every single time, especially if I'm not invited into it. You know, hey, you got to, you know, and we all know what those busybodies are like trying to tell us how to live our life. Uh, when, when kids get married, the in-laws are a good, you know, the in-laws and, and family are a great example of butting into the new family's life all the time if they're not careful. And it's very important that they stay out. That's a new family unit. They've got to make their own mistakes. And usually, even if invited, you need to keep your mouth shut. Because usually the only one they talk to is their family against the, fam you know, the, other, the other family. And still, it's better you are you're, you're your own family now. Get it, get it worked out. And it is critical. You know, in-laws can be a big problem. Uh, grandparents can be a big problem trying to tell you how to raise your kids, how to settle, you know, where you should live, what you should do. You know, the, the new family's problems of where do you spend holidays? You know, do I go to, which, which family do we go? Do we rotate families? Uh, do we just make our own and forget it all about the other families? You know, uh, and those decisions have to be made by the new family and not people meddling into something that is not their affair. And we see it all the time. Sometimes you see it at churches where pastors try to tell other pastors what they have to do and say, what business is it of yours? You know, now, if you're asked, you know, sometimes you, they make good counselors. What would you do in this situation? But it's still that pastor's responsibility because they stand or fall before God. And a husband stands and falls before God, and he is responsible for everything that happens in his family. Whether he takes responsibility or not, he's still responsible. And this is the sad thing in most families is, you know, a lot of times the father will say, okay, you know, honey, you take the kids to church. You're responsible for their spiritual growth. Well, Deuteronomy tells us it's the father's responsibility to take care of the kids' spiritual growth. So when, when the family stands before God, it's going to be, God's going to say, you know, husband, what did you do? <laughs> well, I let my wife take it. No, what did you do? You were responsible. What did you do to make sure that it happened? 
And the, the crazy thing about this is when a man really truly takes charge of his family, the kids and the wife usually will come to church and be strong in the Lord. If the father is not active within the church, usually, whether the wife is very strong or not, doesn't matter. The kids, especially the, the sons, will drop away from the church. Because if that's, you know, dad doesn't need it, I don't need it. And I've seen this so many times in Sunday school departments where in most churches, the only ones that teach Sunday school up through maybe junior high or high school are ladies. So we're telling our kids all the way up through junior high and high school, God is important to men. You know, not, not in words so much, but in actions. We're telling those kids, God's not important to men. Boys, you know, you're, you're here in a girl's world. God's not important. We've lost them by the time they get to high school. If, they get, if they're lucky enough to have a man, teach them at junior high and high school. And sometimes that even doesn't happen. So usually a lot of times, the first time they ever see a man teaching in the church outside of the pastor on the messages will be when they get into the adult Sunday school. And by that time, they're gone. Unless they've got a strong father that led them, they're gone. Because especially boys, they look up there and say, hey, religion's for ladies and girls. And it's critical that men to step up and be spiritual leaders that they're supposed to be. Because it is critical that boys especially, but even the girls, see leadership. See males doing Sunday school. Only one time in my lifetime have I seen a church that had men teaching Sunday school at all ages except for uh, nursery to third, uh, three-year-olds. Four-year-olds on up all had men teaching them except for the girls at, when we split the girls at fourth and fifth and sixth grade. Every class had a man in their class. And I think it made a great difference to, the, to what they saw. And it's very critical that men step up and lead and learn to be a leader within the, within the spiritual side of their family and go forward. Any comments before I go on? I don't want to I'm in preaching mode here. Uh, verse 18, as a man who casts firebrand, as a madman who casts firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceives his neighbor and says, am not I in sport? And we get the picture of this guy that's, that's really crazy shooting arrows, and in our day and age it would be firing a gun in the midst of a crowd and, and just causing death. Okay, so this is pretty extreme, and this is exactly what it's saying. You know, this guy's throwing arrows everywhere and, and, and fire. He's just, he's causing devastation. And then it says, so is the man that deceives or, tr or mis mis misleads or deals treacherously with his neighbor. And then he says, as we would say in our vernacular, just joking, just kidding. Now I'm just having fun. We've all seen people who do that. And there is a real meanness in that mentality. You know, I'm going to treat you bad, but hey, I'm just joking, I'm just kidding. In reality, they're not. We know it. They know it. But because they say, I'm just joking, I'm just kidding, you know, we're somehow not supposed to be upset with them for doing it. And yet, we know that they've done it for all the wrong reasons, and, and usually there's a meaning behind it. If you've got somebody always saying bad things about you, even in jest, they mean what they say. They really do. Otherwise, they wouldn't say it. And... And as we're told in the New Testament, we should always be edifying and building up anyway. We shouldn't be tearing, tearing down or, or even making fun of somebody, even if it is jest. I really don't like seeing that, even if it really is in jest, and you can tell that it was jest. It's not a, it, it doesn't have any edification. You know, Philippians tells us, you know, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are good reproach, think on these things. And if we're thinking on those things, then we're going to speak good things to other people because we're looking at what can we bless them with. What can we say that's good about them, rather than, you know, oh, you're just terrible, you're always, you're, you're always late, you're always noisy, whatever, whatever it might be. Number one, nobody is always anything. But, you know, have you ever seen somebody who's always seeming to have this negative, you know, and I, and I know, I've known people who said, well, I'm just joking. Uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're, you're, there's a point where you're no longer in jest. Uh, when, I, when my daughter got a job that she was 15 years old on her first job and the parents had to go into their orientation and the HR person was talking about you know, sexual harassment, she said, you know, 
you're not you you know you you shouldn't be saying things that make people mad you know it's okay if they're if they're okay with it and I raise my hand I'm going no you don't even want to go there because there may be a day when they're in the wrong mood and what you've said a hundred times to them and you're joking and it still will be the day that they get mad at you because they're just in a bad mood I go you're better off never going there because it is not worth it that the making fun of somebody even if it's in jest and they know that it's in jest is not a good place to be and you hear it a lot of times in groups of people you know just just cutting each other you know and you know they're having fun sometimes even but you know there's that time when you say that thing you've said a hundred times and it's just the wrong time to say it to somebody they they've had a bad day they you know and the next thing you know especially with boys is what happened you know, you've, you've jabbed at each other, you've poked at each other, and it's something you've done a hundred times, and the one guy is just in a bad mood that day, and he beats up his best friend who did something he's always done, and the poor best friend's like, what, what did I do? You know, and I did that a couple of times to my friends, you know, they just, I was in a bad mood, and they said something that was just, you know, they'd said it before, but it was just not the time to say it to me, and I came unglued. You know, and it happens. We've got to be careful. We don't want, you know, and my advice is never start doing this. It's much better to always build up and edify and rather than tear down, even if it is in joking, in a joking manner, and, and everybody knows that it's a joke. Uh, where no wood is, the fire goes out, and where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. And this is a true statement, you know, you know if there is nobody stirring the coals on a fight, the fight usually dwindles. You can't have a one-sided fight. You know, no matter what, you can't have a one-sided fight, especially a verbal fight. If you refuse to participate in a verbal fight, it will die. It will. You know, I've done it many times, just watched people sit there and, and try to pick a fight and don't respond. Is it easy to not respond? No. <laughs> but if you can train yourself not to respond to most verbal jabs, people get frustrated. It's a great way to win a fight because you win because they stop. And they're very, they can get very angry at that. Now, in a physical fight, you kind of have to keep them from hitting you, but on, on any kind of verbal tail-bearing, you know, trying to stir the, stir the thing up. You know, you see this in comedies a lot of times where the person's playing the instigator on both sides. You know, hey, you know what they said about you? Yeah, you know, you really got to think. Hey, you know what they're doing? You know, and they're bringing the tails to both sides and stirring up the tr trouble and enjoying watching these two being mad at each other, who really don't even know why they're mad at each other because this other one is the one causing the problems. And in a good story, that person always gets their comeuppance, but that doesn't always happen, and we know it doesn't. Um, but the idea, you know, we also need to learn to not listen to the tail bearers. You know, if they're trying to bring division one of my greatest answers that I love to use when somebody says, well, you know what so-and-so did or said, or I go, no, but let's go talk to him and see. You know, if you will tell me in front of them, I have no problem with you saying whatever you want as long as they're here to, 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 to listen. And I even, you know, because I don't want to know the wrong somebody's doing. I don't want to know the bad that somebody's doing. And I, there's lots of people who, who seem to think, you know, pastor needs to know all the bad that somebody's doing so somehow they can minister to them. God will show me what I need to know. And I don't need to know them after their flesh. I want to know them what God wants me to know and I want to know them well enough to be able to give grace. Because grace is what matters. And when you're getting somebody sticking a whole bunch of negative thoughts in your head, it's, head, it's sometimes hard to give grace because you're thinking about all the bad stuff you, you think you know about this person. And I say think you know because usually when somebody's telling tells, they're not telling them the whole the whole truth. They may or may not be telling the truth as they perceive it, depending on whether they're trying to stir up trouble or just inform you. But they're always every time you listen to somebody tell you something, it's one side of a story, even if it is the truth as they perceive it. And inevitably, every time I've had to deal with problems, somebody has always told the story to make them look good in the story. And there's been times I've actually watched and heard what was going on in the business world, then listened to both sides of the story and watched both sides basically tell me the truth, but leave out the parts where they caused problems and instigated 
the trouble, or it, or uh, or raise the trouble. You know, they left out. You know, you know, and and he did. Well, what did you say? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, what did you say? You know, give me the whole truth here. You know, well, I said this. Well, didn't you think that might bring <laughs> make them want to strike strike back out at you? Well, yeah, I guess if I'd have thought about it. But you know, we keep that tail bear out of the out of the strife, and, and things dwindle, usually. And it, it's very true on there. And it's just like you know, if you want to stop a fire, quit giving it stuff to burn. You know, whether it's oxygen or or burnable material, if you defeat it of one of its elements of burning, it'll go out. Which is how most fire extinguishers work. You you cover carbon dioxide or, or foam, and it can't get oxygen. It goes out. You know, you stir the stir the wood around a little bit so the embers go out. It'll it'll go out. So this is what it's talking about. Uh, verse twenty one: As coals are to burning coals to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a tailbearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hates disguises with his lips and lays up deceit within him. When he speaks fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. So we're going to look at this. Guinea's going on. As coals are to burning coals and wood to a fire, so is a contention man to kindle strikes. The same thing we just read. Uh, uh, if you want to keep a fire hot, you keep the coals together. You want to, you know... If you want to have some fun on a fire, you just take and move the wood apart from each other and, and watch it die quickly. You want to keep the fire going all night long, you, you, you bank the fire up in the corner and you keep all the coals and the wood tightly, tightly put in the corner. And then you, in the morning, you can just blow on those embers and it'll ignite with a little bit of tinder and you don't ever have to strike another match as long as you can keep your fire banked all the time. And... This is what it's talking about, the contentious, the person who just, there are people who enjoy strife. And we call them drama kings and drama queens, you know. Uh, unless there's something going on, unless people are at each other's throats, they're not happy. And if you work with somebody like that or you have somebody like that in your family, it's a miserable life. Because you could have the greatest thing going on. Everybody's happy, you're having a great environment, and this person shows up, and all of a sudden everybody's at their throats. And they're usually good at making it look like it's not them. Yeah. And it's just amazing how quickly things can turn when you've got a contentious person who enjoys the strife. And why they enjoy strife, I don't know. But Because I don't. I've never been one to enjoy strife. And those are the type of employees that I usually got rid of as quick as possible. You know, I don't need an employee that's going to cause commotion every time they come in. It's one thing just to be in a bad mood and, you know, and that's bad enough because it, it, it'll affect everybody. But somebody who's just always got to start, always, always, you know, you know, poke, 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 you know, we're going to, and we do enough of that in our families. We all know the right buttons to push to irritate somebody, be that contentious person and, you know, why we do it, I don't know. You know, I think it's so, so that we can feel superior in some way. You know, look at this. I can, I can make this person. We used to always do it with brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters are really good about doing it. You know, sometimes, sometimes parents to their kids or kids to their parents. You know, a lot of times the kids will want control and they'll, I know how to make mom mad at me. I'll just have to do this. And she'll go off the deep end and scream and holler. And I'm, you know, and, you know, so they do that. And all of a sudden they've got control. So a lot of it is control. The idea of having control. He that hates disguises his lips and lays up deceit in him. When he speaks fair, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. You know, hatred. Hatred's a strong, strong thing, and yet when people hate, they are, usually they disguise it. A lot of times they disguise it, they don't let people know directly that, they're, that they have hatred in their heart. But they stir up trouble, they're causing problems. And hatred is part of the flesh. I mean, when we look at that, when we talked in Galatians 6, the, the works of the flesh, one of them is hatred. The flesh hates, and the hatred comes from lack of control. I want to be in charge. The flesh wants to be in charge. And for some people, that's easier done than others. There's some people that are very controlling, and it's easy for them to control. But even the most submissive person has a degree of that desire to be 
can chart. They may not be good at it and they've been beat down so much that they don't know how to do it, but their flesh wants to have that charge. Their flesh wants to be in charge. They've been trained not to try, but it's there. And it's, and it's the desire of the flesh. And that's where the sin, very first sin was, to become like God, to be able to tell God, this is, this is what I think, God. And God's saying, you're the created being. I don't, you know, who are you to tell me? Well, I, I know right from wrong. I can tell you now. That was Satan's in his pride. He wanted to be like God, seated on the throne, being able, being able to make the rules. And our flesh is just like that. Our flesh always wants to be in charge. Even if it's in our own life, the hardest thing for us to do is let Jesus sit on the throne of our heart and have the flesh crucified and, and killed within our life. Uh, you know, we just want to let sit there and say, you know, a lot of times it's, okay, God, you sit over there, God, until I need you, and then when I need you, I'll call you out of that corner room or, or that chair over there in the corner, and then you can come over and take care, take care of things for me. That's the flesh trying to ru rule. And we all do it to some extent or another. The more we, the more we follow God, the more we're, more we're been crucified, the more we've been sanctified, the more we let Him run our life. The easier it is to say, "I'm going to go sit over in the corner, God, because you don't need me," and go ahead and do the work. Will we ever do it perfectly? Not until we're glorified at, at death or, or the rapture. But we should be getting better and better and better at it as we grow. As we grow in Christ, we should be getting more and more of our life turned over to Him so that he works through us. And that's the greatest thing. You know, I've said it over and over. God's plan is perfect. He does the work, and I get the rewards. If, I, if I'm trying to do the work, I don't get rewarded. And it may be good work. When he puts our works in the fire, wood, hay, and stubble burn. Okay? Now, stubble we know is really worthless. You can't use stubble for anything. Hay has got some value. It, it feeds a little bit. It can hold, hold mud together to make bricks. It can... You know, hay is very useful. Not very strong, but useful. Wood, we make houses out of it, chairs out of it, tables. Very useful can be very good. Wood, in this example, is anything that I do in my flesh that may even help people. I'm helping people. That's those people that are going to stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, didn't die. And look at all the things. Cast out demons, you know, go, go visit people in the prison, feed the, feed the, you know, the, the poor, and, and help heal the sick. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, because it was all wood and hay. I did it. The flesh did it. It's got to be Jesus. And then when he works through us, we get the reward. And that makes living a Christian life the, most, the easiest thing in the world to do. All I've got to do is surrender. Now, unfortunately, the flesh doesn't like to surrender. <laughs> and so the, it takes him to crucify the flesh to be able to surrender. All right. Whose, whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be showed forth to before the whole congregation. Who digs a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolls a stone, it will return upon him. A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth works ruins. So we just want to look at these last couple of verses here. Whose hatred is covered by deceit, somebody trying to pretend that they're not, not a hater, his, sick, his wickedness shall show forth before the whole congregation. And there's two parts that this is being taught. Number one, the heart will speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks in the way we act. If we hold hatred in our heart, we eventually will show that hatred. And the other side of this is we reap what we sow. You know, even, if we, even if everybody thinks we're doing good, they're eventually going to see what we're doing. Because our doing will not match our words. And, and actions speak louder than words is a very true statement. And that's why a lot of Christians can say all the right things, but if they don't act like a Christian, the world looks at them and says, you know, your, your actions aren't matching up to what you're saying. You know, which are you? And it's very important. It's works in and of themselves are not what gets us play, you know, place in heaven or anything. But the world looks at us and says, "Do you are you really a Christian? Do you act like a Christian?" Now, unfortunately, the world's view of Christian Christian is a little warped, usually. But but they do have a point. You know, if I'm always just like everybody else, 
you know, knocking people down with my words and criticizing people and not loving people. And they look at me and say, well, you say you're a Christian. They have a right to say, what kind of a Christian are you? The greatest thing that can happen is that you live a life that people look at you and say, that person's a little different. I don't know why, but they're different. You know, and they watch your life. They watch when you go through hard times and they see that you don't get crumbled and crushed and complain all the time. They watch how you go through hard times. You know, when I was in restaurant management, we'd go through a busy rush and there'd be a smile on my face and, and I wasn't all uptight. And I had more than one employee who, you know, especially new ones would come up. How can you still have that smile on your face and be, you know, be okay? And that gave me a perfect opportunity, even as a manager, to give the gospel to an employee who had asked. And I gave a chance to give them the gospel. Did many of them respond? Not necessarily, but they still watched. You know, people will make fun of us because we're a Christian, but you know the first person they're gonna go to when they have a real trial in their life is that crazy Christian that had that seemed to have their act together, you know, when they went through the hardship and they're going, Well, none of my friends could get through trouble, but this did, and I'm really having trouble. So who did they go to? The person who's really not a perfect life, but showing a walk with God that shows that God is important in their life. And you know, none of us are going to be perfect. <laughs> We're all going to make mistakes. And even then, the world watches us. When they make a mistake, are they going to give up on God? Are they going to, you know, and they watch us repent and follow God, and they say, wow, this, there is a way to get out of when, even when you do wrong. And so that's an important thing. Whoso digs a pitch shall fall in, and he that rolls a stone it will return upon him. This is an idea that there are people who work very hard on making others trying to trap, trap people and, and trip them up or in, in the business world they work really hard to not work. And it says all that stuff comes back, you know, it comes back on them. They dig the pit to try to trap somebody and oftentimes they fall into their own, their own trap. You see that not so much at the employee level a lot of times but a lot of time in management level where managers are playing games to make one look bad so that they can try to get the promotion, so that they look good because it's And oftentimes those kind of little trap things backfire on the person who tried to set it. And they ended up looking really bad. Number one, they either get caught having tried it, or somehow they fall into their own trap. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing sometimes to watch how God lets things come back to them. And even if they get away with it for a while, they still will reap what they sow because nobody will trust them. I've seen a lot of people who rise meteorically to the top because they're stabbing everybody in the back. They get to the top, they can't trust any of the subordinates because they've stabbed every one of them in the back. And they know that those people are waiting to stab them in the back at the first opportunity they get. And they don't last long. They got there fast. But unless they replace everybody below them with brand new employees, and that's not feasible in most businesses, they can't trust anybody. And they end up falling flat on their face at some point. They reap what they sow. They get, they fall into the trap eventually. And this is where we get so often that God says he's going to reward people for what they've done. And that reward may not be a reward they want, but he's going to give them the reward they deserve. And they're going to reap what they sow. And that's why we're told not to envy the person who seems to have everything together because we don't know what's in their heart. We don't know... You know, we look at some rich people and say they've got it all together. And if you really get to know some of those rich people, they're miserable. They don't know if they can trust anybody to be their friend because they may be there just to get their money, you know, because they're rich. So they have trouble making friends. So if they don't have friends from before, they have trouble with it. They're never happy with what they've got because stuff will not bring happiness. You know, and we as poor people kind of look at them, oh, they got everything. You know, man, if I had all that stuff, I had the five cars and the... The, the big big house and, and all this, I'd be happy. And if, you know, little do we know that if we were there, if you can't be content with little, you're not going to be content with much. It's just the way it is. We learn contentment. And if we're content, we'll be content with little or much because God is our contentment. And is it easier if you're content to have much? Yeah, of course, <laughs> as long as you're content. But, you know, they've asked many rich people, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. You know, just a little bit more. Yeah. I'm not the richest person that nobody can catch, so I need a little more. You know, if you are the richest person, somebody's sitting there on the heels trying to catch you, so you still need more to stay ahead of them. They're never happy. God is the only one that brings that happiness. A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 
when somebody's lying about it, they're showing their hatred. They really are. You're not going to say bad things about people, especially, you're not even going to say, if you care for somebody, you're not even going to say true things that hurt them, unless you're talking directly to them to try to help them. But to lie to people about them is showing a great hatred to somebody. You know, and again, even if it's true, and this is what I tell people about rumors, don't spread rumors, even if they're true statements. Because number one, they're going to get distorted over time. But even if it's true, why go out there and try to stir up trouble for somebody, even if it's true? God will reveal the truth of their life. He doesn't need us to reveal that truth. God doesn't need me going around saying, well, you know, that you got to look at that person, that person, that person. God is going to show them by their works who they are. And this is true, you know, with other pastors. If I disagree with another pastor, God's going to deal with him because he says he's going to. Most of the people that I've, that I've had to, that I know bad things about, for sure, unless I know them well enough to go directly to them, I pray for them. And I'm not going to, you know, spread around, even if it's true, because God reveals the truth. It, it will always come out. It won't stay hidden. And that's what this, you know, these verses have said. It won't stay hidden. Evil can't stay hidden. It comes out. It always is brought out. It always, and usually we are the ones that bring out our own evil. It's kind of amazing when you when you talk to somebody and you watch something, you know, watch some of these TV shows like Perry Mason, who 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 leads everybody down this road, and he always gets an admission of guilt, you know, which is not not reasonable, but but you know, but at the same time, I've seen this happen so often. You start you start making accusations, and somebody just because they've been guilty, all of a sudden they break down and admit to what you thought, but you couldn't prove. You know, uh, but it is out there. The guilty conscience, the word, the, just things will always work out. They will always be revealed. And ultimately, they will be revealed by God. God knows what they've done, and he, he is using it against them. There's guilty conscience, even if they don't think they have a guilty conscience. You, everybody knows somebody who's guilty. They know they're guilty. Even though they keep doing it, they know they're guilty. And they're going to keep following it. And eventually, it'll come out. It always does. If we don't repent of sin and confess sin before God, he tells us he's going to shout it from the housetops. And we see that with evangelists, a lot of television evangelists who have had affairs and everything, who just would not repeat, repent. They were a very public figure that was making a sin, and God says, okay, if you're not going to repent, then we're going to make sure as many people as you're possibly going to be affecting are going to know about it. Very serious place to be. You know, the more you're representing God, the more people have to know about the sin that you're committing to be humbled. And it, it's a humbling place to be. It says, get out there, repent. God, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, and I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to repent and turn from it, because I don't want it to be blown out into the open. Because it's a very humbling thing to have a sin blown out into the open. And God says it will be. It will always be. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to just look at your word and see what you have to say for us. So, Lord, we ask you to help us to apply some portion of this message to our lives and, and as we go forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.